The Hammer, Chapter 17 With the labyrinth behind him, the journey through the larger passages of the core was easier than Corvin expected. Just as Sarek had said, he only needed to keep moving down. At first he picked his way around large boulders, but after a time he saw narrow tracks in the dust, created by animals he could not identify. The tracks turned to rocky paths that wound through caverns and tunnels ever downward. Patches of the core shield on the walls and ceiling grew lighter for a while, then faded to black. At times he found clumps of thick purple moss that glowed softly in the dark. He tried sleeping on a large patch, but it made his skin itch. At each rest he gnawed on what was left of the beef jerky and allowed himself a few chocolate chips. At least there was a steady supply of water. It dripped from the roof and pooled in small depressions, sometimes gathering in small streams alongside the path. Corvin learned to avoid the brackish standing water and to satisfy his thirst at the streams. He walked on as far as he could while there was light from the core shield before stretching out for a rest. Lying on the stone floor would have been unbearable except for the warmth of his cloak. Even so, sleep eluded him. He lay in the darkness, listening to the sounds of dripping water and the pattering feet of what could be small animals or incredibly large insects. He hoped they were not spiders. He hated spiders. The visions from Sarek's crystal haunted his thoughts. Most of the time he managed to banish the monster from his mind, but he couldn't escape that image of Kate. Was it possible for someone to change that much? Could the pursuit of anger consume your whole being? Sure, Kate sometimes got mad, but how could that grow to where she would want to kill everyone around her? He tried to sleep and find relief from his fear and loneliness, but rest eluded him. His father was right. It was terrible not seeing the moon and stars. Without their light, the darkness was overwhelming, crushing Corvin with its vacant weight. He found some comfort in the ice disk from the base of Sark's crystal. The patterns in the tiny pinpoints of light reminded him of the constellations he'd studied while lying out on the rock on warm summer nights. It almost seemed he could make out Orion and the Big Dipper. At his last rest, he had noticed a brighter glow over the handle of the Big Dipper. Now that glow had become a tiny full moon, making its way along the edge of the glass. He puzzled over this for a while, and then it came to him. Zark's crystal had showed him the future, or at least a possible future. In a similar way, the ice glass must reflect what was on his mind in the present. It showed him the stars because his first thought when he touched it was of a starry sky. Maybe it could also reveal his home. Holding it in his palm, he concentrated on walking in his mind from the rock back to the house. The stars in the glass spun, and his home came into view. A tiny yellow square flickered, and his mother appeared in his bedroom window. He focused on her. The window grew larger in the glass until he could clearly see her face. Tears lay on her cheeks, but she was singing. Her hand rose toward him, as if she knew he was watching. I'm here, Mom, Corvin said. A tear slipped down his cheek and splashed on the glass. His mother stopped singing and stared out the window. A puzzled smile flickered across her face. She wiped her eyes with the back of her sleeve and disappeared light went out. Loneliness welled up and choked him. This was so unfair. Why should he be trapped in the earth far away from home? He doubted he could even reach Kate in time. Kate, would the glass reveal her whereabouts? He turned his thoughts to her and memories flooded back. Days of building forts and riding bikes and hiking through the coolies, he smiled. Kate was his best friend in the world. Well, at least in the world above. Down here, he wasn't sure he knew her anymore. Pushing that thought aside, he concentrated on the Kate he remembered. A fond memory stole into his heart. He and Kate were lying on the rock, watching for falling stars. A coyote barked in the field, and Kate jumped and reached for his hand. It barked again, then all was silent. 
They stayed there, hand in hand, looking up at the stars until his mother called him in. Neither of them had ever talked about it. As he thought about this memory, the glass grew warm. He caught a glimpse of Kate in the darkness, tears trickling down her cheeks. Hang on, Kate, I'm coming for you. The image of her in the mirror looked back at him in shock, calling his name so clearly he almost dropped the glass. He tried focusing his thoughts on Kate again, but now the glass remained dark. The light from the core rocks had ebbed away. There was no purple moss in sight. Everything was dark. Corvin lay back down on the ground and pulled the cape over him. There were times he was certain this must be a dream. A sharp rock poked into his ribs as if to remind him that he was not asleep. He wondered if it were possible for things to get any worse than this. His father used to say, Cheer up, son. The worst is yet to come. His dad wanted him to learn to be thankful for what he had right now instead of focusing on what could go wrong in the future. Lying on the rocky floor with a rhythmic drip of water falling in the darkness, Corvin tried to come up with something positive. The first thing that came to mind was that his collarbone had healed quickly and he didn't need the sling anymore. The hammer had an effect on bones after all. It just took a bit longer. He was also thankful it had healed his eyes and given them better eyesight in the dark. This journey would be miserable if he couldn't see by the pale light of the purple moss. He sat up. It was no use trying to sleep. He might as well walk on a little further. Pulling his pack onto his shoulder, he unclipped a hammer and followed its glow around the corner to where another cavern joined the main trail. Corvin pointed his light up the steep slope. The toes of Kate's dirty running shoes stuck out from behind a rock. Kate? He ran forward, only to find the shoes were empty. The toes were separated from the soles and gaped at him as if they had something important to say. Beside the shoes, he found an empty bread bag. The smell of oatmeal wafted out at him, along with a trace of her lilac perfume. Kate must have just been here. It had actually been her calling when he saw her in the glass. There was a keen sense of disappointment, but at least he had something else to be thankful for. Kate was alive and somewhere just ahead of him. He called her name, but the only response was his voice echoing off the rocky walls. Hurrying down the path, Corvin saw a soft blue glow behind an outcrop of rocks. As he approached, the light grew steadily stronger. Whatever was down there was right on the path. He crept off to one side of the tunnel, keeping larger boulders between himself and the light. Picking his way along the rock wall, he approached a gap between two columns of rock. Up ahead, the passage he was in emerged out into an open space full of light. Moonlight? Had he managed to find a way out of the tunnels and back to the surface? Corvin's heart soared as he ran down the path toward the light. This meant Kate was out as well. They had both escaped from this terrible maze of tunnels. The cavern narrowed down to a uniform arch. He drew nearer and saw a thick stone door standing ajar. Corvin moved closer to the entrance and peered out. High overhead shone a full moon and a few bright stars. He blinked. What had the fire stick done to his eyes? The moon was blue, and the stars in the sky pierced the black night with pinkish light. Corvin took another step forward and tripped on the threshold of the doorway. He put a hand on the door to steady himself, and it opened wider. Carved across the middle of the door was a row of the strange script from his grandfather's book. A wave of despair crashed down upon Corvin. Instead of a way out, this vast cave was just more of the core. He was going to have to go through yet another door and follow Kate deeper into the darkness. He was about to step through when he heard angry voices approaching. Two men were arguing about who had checked the door last. He ducked behind the thick slab and wedged his body in along the wall. As he backed in behind the door, his pack crowded his head forward under a large metal hinge. He looked through the wide crack where the door was held away from the wall by its hinges. 
Hopefully the men couldn't see him there hiding in the shadows. The first man entered his field of vision. He was short and thin, like Corbin. He was dressed in a green cloak, his face hidden in the recesses of his hood. In his hand was a staff that reached as high as his shoulder. At the top was a carved red globe with a deep black center. He stopped before the door, his head shaking slightly. You're right. The door is open. An even shorter man appeared. A deep, rasping voice responded from the depths of his hood. I can see that, Terran, but why is it open? The priests hold the only key, and you are the only priest I know who bothers to come up here. He folded his arms over his chest. Terran threw back his hood, revealing the sharp features of a young man with thick black hair. What are you trying to insinuate, Harmon? The heavyset man didn't reply. Terran turned away and carefully examined the far side of the door. Would he examine this side as well? Corvin tried unsuccessfully to push himself away from the crack. Terran pulled a notched cylinder on a red cord from around his neck, inserted it into a hole next to the door frame, and twisted. Three sturdy metal bolts clicked out from around the door jamb. He twisted the key and removed it. The bolt sank back into the rock. The green cloak swished as Terran crossed over to inspect the hinge side of the door. As Corvin pushed away from the crack, his hand touched the hammer. Warmth flowed up his arm, and its blue symbols glowed fiercely in the darkness. He quickly covered the glow with his hand, but it was too late. He looked up into Terran's wide eyes. Find something, Harmon asked. Just checking the hinges, Terran said, not breaking eye contact with Corvin. The door was not forced open. He gestured to the left. I've seen all I need to see here. Let's head back down. You can file a report tomorrow. Too late for that, Harmon sneered. I already reported it to the chief watcher. Terran's eyes grew wide and he whirled about to face the stocky man. You what? The law states he is to be informed any time this door is opened. Since it could only be a priest who opened it, I suspected you wouldn't tell him about it and put your friends and family in jeopardy. Terran pounded his staff on the ground and the red globe filled with light. You're a fool, Harmon. You know little of what's happening. All you care about is trying to advance your own career. What else is there? With the bad blood between the Watchers, the priests, and the rebels. This is the perfect time to be on the side of those who have the most power. Terran pointed the staff at him. Power is not a toy for our amusement. Remember, if you play with power, you will pay the powerful. Harmon snorted. You priests in your proverbs. The way you talk, you'd think you were part of the rebel cells, not the city. Don't think for a moment the palace doesn't know what you and your father are planning. Terran stared at the stocky man. You don't know what you're talking about. I know that Morgan has uncovered a plot to overthrow the palace, and I know the sources all point to the high priest. Harmon turned his back on Terran and swaggered away. Terran gripped his staff in both hands and took a step toward him. Harmon whirled around and looked down the narrow path beyond the door. He's here, Harmon whispered in a hoarse voice. Terran turned. Both men stood frozen at attention. Terran fumbled with the staff, and its light faded away. In the thick silence, Corvin caught the hollow sound of rhythmic chirps, as if a quartet of wounded crickets were limping in his direction. The soft slap of bare feet on rock overpowered the eerie sound as four incredibly thin men appeared on the path, a palanquin tent with red curtains slung below poles on their shoulders. The men's necks and arms seemed too long and slender for them to be human. Blue veins pulsed under translucent, glistening skin, reminding Corvin of the pictures he'd seen of cave salamanders that lived all their lives in total darkness. Their deep robes accentuated milky white faces. 
The tallest one at the front of the poles turned toward Corvin, empty eye sockets sealed under sunken eyelids. Its thin lips pursed and its blue tongue worked to produce the strange, high-pitched chirps as its head scanned from side to side. They must navigate like bats, finding their way using echoes. Corvin held his breath. Could their sonar find him through the crack? The palanquin's embroidered red curtains parted and a dark body oozed to the ground. Corvin stifled a gasp. It was a lizard, like Tsarek, but much larger, almost Corvin's own height. Its head bobbed as its long, thin tongue whipped in and out, tasting the air that flowed from the cavern's door. Powerful biceps strained against twisted silver bracers wrapped around each arm. The muscles in its thick legs bulged and rippled under a scaly black skin as it moved with measured steps into the doorway and out of Corvin's line of sight. When it spoke, Corvin's blood ran cold. The voice was high and thin, piercing the stone door between them. He did not catch what it said, but Terran responded affirmatively. Harmon muttered something, but a command from the lizard silenced him. Corvin held his breath and listened. He heard the hiss of cold breath. The lizard's snout poked out over the threshold, nostrils flaring as it pulled in the scents around him. If the lizard came any closer, it was sure to smell him. Terran coughed. The black creature turned toward him. Most honorable chief watcher, Terran said, I checked this door personally and all the seals were intact. I do not know. Harmon pushed Terran aside. I'm the one who found the door open. I've been keeping an eye on these priests for you just as you ordered me. I am the one who deserves a reward. A blur shot past the crack. And the next thing Corvin knew, the black lizard was standing on top of Harmon's still body. He held his right claw up to the dim light, and Corvin could see it was badly deformed, leaving only one long curved claw and a small twisted stump. The lizard's tongue shot out and tasted the blood dripping down the long claw. The black faced wrinkled in disgust, and he stepped down to wipe his claw on a dead man's cloak. The lizard gave the body a contemptuous kick and twisted its sinuous neck to leer at Terran. Some people don't know when to be quiet, do they? I do not trust those who cannot keep their lips shut. The creature moved in closer to Terran. But I also don't trust a priest who cannot keep his door shut. It smells of treason, of trying to start a rumor that the Corvan has come to overthrow the palace. Terran pointed to the lock. The priest key was not used. The door must have been opened from the other side by the portal watcher. The black body flickered toward Terran, words spitting past the forked tongue. If the portal watcher had been called, I would have been told. I am the chief of the watchers. The lizard circled around the man. Do not think I am unaware of why the high priest assigned you to represent the temple in my palace guard. He tried the same tactic with Morgan and failed. That was a terrible outcome for all concerned, especially your sister. Wouldn't you agree? Terran stiffened but did not answer. The black form turned back to the door. Someone opened this door without informing me. The lizard extended a claw toward Terran. So I will take the key now. Terran took a step back. The key is the responsibility of the priests, not the palace. Yes. The lizard's tongue darted out, but only as guardians of the entry. The door has been opened, and without the palace being informed. Therefore, your position as keeper of the key is forfeit to me. Terran gripped the staff in both hands and held it up like a great sword. 
The four pale men holding the palanquin dropped it to the ground and spread out behind the lizard. Tightly coiled crippen ropes appeared in their hands. The lizard extended his long claw and touched the staff. Do not resist me, Terran. The lizard pushed the staff aside, then turned his back on the man and walked toward the door. You cannot win. Terran took a step toward the white creatures, who tensed in anticipation. You would be wise to consider joining me, as Morgan has done. The priesthood is dying. My new religion is poised to take over. Join me, and I will make you my captain instead of Morgan. Terran's staff sagged, and the tip hit the ground. The lizard held out his claw again. This time Terran reached into his cowl and pulled out the cord with the notch cylinder. The chief watcher took it and looped it around his own neck. A wise choice. You are a perceptive young man, one who could play an important role in restoring the core to its former glory. One of the men with unseeing eyes bent down to speak in the lizard's ear, his long fingers touching the ground. The lizard nodded. An evil smile parted his lips. A company of my men is on their way, Terran. You have until tomorrow to give me your answer. Think it over carefully. His voice lowered. Your sister's life depends on it. The lizard slipped through the curtains into the palanquin. His voice cracked out a command and the four men picked up the cabin and disappeared from view, their strange chirps fading into the distance. As Terran watched the entourage move down the path, Corvin turned from the crack. He had to get some answers from the man who had just saved him from the black lizard. As he pushed on the heavy slab to get out from behind the door, a huge burak appeared on the pathway, bounding down toward Terran in long, loping strides. Its broad shoulder slammed into the door, knocking Corvin back against the hinges. Terran cried out, and through the crack, Corvin saw the huge animal toss the man in the air and catch him again, like a cat playing with a mouse before killing it. Terran's body flew in a wild arc and landed in a crumpled heap near the door. Terror-filled eyes looked up through the crack. Help me, he croaked. The hammer throbbed in Corvin's hand. He tried to push on the door, but the weight of the creature held it tight against the wall. The beast looked up and roared at Corvin, and a blast of sour breath slammed into him. The hinges creaked as the burak forced its snout into the crack. Its deafening shriek ripped at Corvin's eardrums, and he dropped the hammer to clench his hands over his ears. The door banged again, and the horrible shriek stopped. Terran's bloody face was just a foot away. Help me, Corvan! The pitiful face was suddenly dragged away. A final cry echoed in the cavern. The great door boomed as the beast smashed into it again. The stone slab bounced away from the wall and came to rest on the threshold. Corvin caught sight of the burek, retreating up the slope, a broken body dragging in the dirt beside it. Corvin put his head in his hands. He had let the man who had saved his life die before his eyes. He'd given in to his fear, and the young man had paid the price. He fell to his knees in the dirt. Shafts of light from around the nearly closed door illuminated the dust-filled air around him. The distant shriek of a burak jerked Corvin's head up. Tsarek had always said they hunted in pairs, but Corvin had not heard the second one during the attack. He held his breath and listened intently. He detected no other sounds, but he had seen how quickly the large beast could move. He scrambled around the floor and found the hammer lying in a pile of dirt next to the wall. The handle was cold, and the light from the symbols was gone. He stuffed it into the holster. The great stone door was jammed against Terran's staff. If it hadn't been there, Corvin might be locked in this passage forever.
Pulling the door away, he picked up the staff. Who was this priest who had saved Corvin from the black lizard, yet given up the valuable key? As Corvin ran his hand over the staff's red globe, rays of light shot out, throwing a kaleidoscope of shadowed patterns around the tunnel. Movement up the pathway caught Corvin off guard. The other Burak was coming. Leaping past the threshold, Corvin whirled about and yanked the door shut. He heard a sigh of air like a refrigerator door ceiling and then three sharp clicks. Muffled blows hammered on the other side of the door. Corvin slumped down against it and leaned his head against the cold stone. High above him, the blue moon shone brightly, but now he could see it was a massive lumion. Scattered about it were the smaller ones, the pink stars he'd seen earlier. As the muffled blows against the door fell away, Corvin realized that he had just locked his only exit out of this violent underground world, and the black lizard had the only key. Corvin looked across the cavern to the far wall, but it was lost in a brown haze over what looked like jagged mountains. He pushed to his feet, drawn forward by the sheer size of this new cavern. It was hard to judge distance in the dim light, but it had to be miles to the other side. As he stepped forward, his foot slipped, and he recovered to find himself at the edge of a precipice that ended in a steep slope hundreds of feet below. He scrambled back and looked down. At the bottom of the cliff he could make out the tiny figures of the pale men as they carried the lizard over a narrow bridge. Corvin blinked. Beyond the ribbon of dark water was the largest city he had ever seen. It was also the strangest, for it was laid out in concentric circles from a central plaza. Each circle joined the next one at periodic intervals, making the streets look like the web of an incredibly large spider. A few larger buildings, some missing their roofs, were scattered about the center of the city, but nowhere could he see a building with a pointy roof. He scanned both sides of the main street that ran toward the far wall. The left side of the city was in ruins, but the right side looked relatively undamaged. A thick wall ran between them. When the lizard's pale servants reached the central plaza, they turned right and proceeded through a gate in the dividing wall. They marched up a wide street through banks of fog that flowed down from a wide gate. Corvin looked ahead of the tiny travelers, his eyes open wide in amazement. Rising above the city, almost halfway up the cavern wall, was a stone figure sitting on a massive throne. Corvin inched closer to the edge of the cliff, his eyes wandering over the broad chest. Tiny squares of light shone through the stone robes of the statue. It was a temple of some kind, like the temple of Ramses in Egypt. Topping the wide shoulders was a rough block of stone. The face was not yet finished. Corvin's gaze swept down over a powerful stone bicep overlaid with writhing snake-like creatures. The arm lay on one of the wide armrests of the throne, its hand gripping a tall staff similar to the one Corvin now held. At the bottom, Surrounding the huge stone feet, tiny figures crawled like ants around a circular stone wall. Great stone blocks were being moved into position with cranes and rollers. Hundreds of fire sticks burned around the construction site, casting their hazy heat waves into the air around the statue and making it look almost alive, like it might leave its throne and crush the city beneath its feet. Corvin peered into the gloom off to the left of the statue. Was that a pointy roof? A rough shove from behind pitched him over the edge. Before Corvin could scream, two powerful hands gripped his shoulders and held him dangling in thin air.